we have the requirements, or what I call the job description, of those who have offices in the church. So I want to give you just a little bit of context. Uh, the first chapter, it's an introduction to the situation. Paul introduces himself. He's the church planter who planted the church in Ephesus, and he is giving instructions to Timothy, who was left in charge to run the church. Timothy was actually left in charge to appoint elders uh, to manage the church, and he is instructed in chapter 1, Timothy, there's going to be a fight. There's a battle uh, for the hearts of the people, for the leadership of a church. Timothy, you wage, he says, a good warfare. In chapter 2, he gives Timothy instructions concerning worship. What's their congregation? What's it to look like when they gather as people? You might wonder, how do we do church? And how come this church does it this way and that way? Um, The Presbyterian, the Reformed churches, we fall into what we call the regulative principle. We seek to worship God as He has directed. Not as we choose or as we feel or as we think or not the way that other nations do or other religions do. We, we, We seek to do worship in the same manner that God has shown us. He closes chapter 2 with this beautiful... Uh, statement of truth, there's one mediator, he says, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so as we come to chapter 3, pastoral oversight of the church and the necessary qualifications of pastors, elders, deacons, what we would call officers. I mentioned and alluded to the meeting we had yesterday. We had our regular Presbyterian meeting uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. We meet three to four times a year. Um, and there's all, there was a lot of turmoil in our presbytery, and the turmoil really has revolved around what are the qualifications for a person to be an ordained minister? What are the qualifications? What should we see in their life? Um, and so it's interesting that this is the text we end up with this morning. Uh, it's vitally important that we examine those who would Lead And so we had a, a presbytery meeting on it. We had months to read through these changes to our book of order. And we argued and we came up about 50-50. And so we had another meeting yesterday, a called meeting. Um, through much prayer and changes in wording, we were able to agree on a, on a statement that I felt really good about, that we felt really good about. About 90% of the presbytery voted in favor of it. Um, but it was... It was worthy work. And I'm sure if you were there, you'd be like, what are they even arguing about? (laughs) Why is this even important? Well, you'll find that that chapter 3 says it's really important. But not just chapter 3. You'll actually find all of Scripture talks about leadership. All of Scripture talks about a people who will follow people. People who will follow a king, they'll follow a leader, they'll follow this person, they'll follow that person. They'll look for someone to tell them what to do and how to get there. Um, That's that's what happens with humanity. And you see it in Scripture that when God is going to do some great work, when God is going to rescue a people, when God is going to bring the law, when God is going uh, to do anything powerful, it always starts with Him calling someone to lead. Um, and, And so... The who, who leads is important. So as I read this text, I want you to think about who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? You know, you listen to people because you do things completely different than someone across the world does. Whether it's how you sleep, how you eat, what you eat, what you wear, what you expect of a work week. 
You'll do it different than other people even across town. Rarely do you arrive at your beliefs by a diligent study. Usually it's stuff we pick up along the way. We see people, we think, hey, that looks cool, let's do that. We see people whose lives are maybe successful. How do they become successful? Let's follow them, right? How do you find out who to believe? Now, the scary part in our country is how do we find out who to believe concerning religious truth? How do we get there? And I'll tell you, the majority of people who call themselves Christians, they go to the people who tell them what they want to hear. And, and again, we see that all throughout the Scripture. The people of God, like, hey, tell us good things. Tell us easy things. We even see Jesus when he is talking about this sacrament and, and what it represents. When he says to his disciples, truly, you're going to eat of my flesh and you're going to drink of my blood. And some of the disciples say, this is a difficult thing. And they withdrew and they didn't follow him anymore. And he looks at the 12, the minority. He says, are you going to leave me? This is a difficult thing. It doesn't make sense to you right now. It's a difficult thing. Are you going to leave me? Peter says, no, we can't leave you. You have the words of life. And so um, as I read this, I, I, part, part of what my, my request of you is to think critically about what are deeply held beliefs. Is it, do I do this or think this just because the culture that I'm in has told me? And, and it's great. Sometimes you can watch an old movie and you see things, you're like, wow, they're racist. How did they not know that? How did they not see that, right? And you're like, wow, we're so much better. And then you watch a movie and you're like, wow, we're so much worse than they were back in those days, right? And, and, and so cultures move and swing and accepted things and unaccepted things. But um, for you to think about that, because in, in the reign of Jeremiah, there are prophets that told the people what they wanted to hear. And Jeremiah told them the truth and he got thrown into a cistern, into a pile of mud. Ezekiel told the people the truth, and they didn't want to hear it. And it was hard for him to bear the truth. And I love the story of Ezekiel when he says, eat this scroll. And it's like, Ezekiel, eat my words, believe my words, may it become part of you. And he says, I can't keep silent. It was, it was, it was sweet to the taste, and then it was bitter in my stomach. Isaiah Faces, faces prophets that tell the kings what they want to hear. Here's how I like to think about it. When does someone normally get a second opinion from a doctor? Do they normally get a second opinion from the doctor when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, Kuiper, man, you're looking good. Yeah, everything's great, man. For a guy your age, wow, you're in great shape. Do I walk out there and go, that guy's a quack. I need to find a second opinion. Right? You only get a second opinion most of the time when the doctor tells you something you don't want to hear. Okay? Now, I had a friend, he was a bodybuilder, and he was humongous. He quit bodybuilding and went all to his belly, and he was feeling sick. He went to the doctor, and he came and goes, that doctor told me I needed to lose weight. And I'm like, yeah? He's like, how does he know? I didn't even get on the scale. I'm like, we all know. He's like, I'm going to go find another doctor. I'm like, okay, go find another doctor. But it ain't going to change what the scale says. And, and so I, think of it in that manner. When you hear the truth of God's word and you don't like it, 
Are you tempted to go find another word? I want to go find something that affirms me and what I believe. Um, and, and, and so Timothy is instructed, be very careful and very diligent. Those who affect the way we believe. I mean, we see that. We have people now in our society who make money as influencers. Right? Some of you may not know that. Like, younger generation, like, yeah, duh, she's an influencer. Like, what's an influencer? Well, if she wears this, then the company sells 100,000 of them. If he eats this, then the company sells tons and tons of this. If he wears this, everybody else wants to wear it. We have influencers. And that's normally harmless things, like fashion and whatever, but who are you influencers? And Timothy, those who lead the church, are going to be called to influence. For many of us, it, we're influenced by those we have relationships with. Uh, someone who has loved me, someone who knows me, or someone I love. I see parents influenced by children sometimes in, in negative ways. Spouses influencing one another. Best friends, parents. Um, is it those who have charisma? Is it those who have lives that we envy? I'm going to listen to them because look at their life. Look what they have. Is it just the most engaging speaker? You know, I feel that pressure when I bring you the Word of God and it's great news and I think it's life-changing. And I'm like, how can I make sure that I get this message across? Timothy, Paul is saying, you have been entrusted with this truth. You've been entrusted with leading this church. Timothy, here's who you will leave it with when you're gone, when you die, when you move on. And I must tell you that y'all need to be super selective with who you listen to. You will be directed by all forms of media, social media, all forms of feed, and you will be directed to believe and think things. You must be super selective. So we come to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Stand for the word of God if you're able. It's another one of the trustworthy sayings. Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This is now the third time we've heard that phrase. It's, It's significant. The mystery of the faith, the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified. Not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, 
managing their children and their own households well, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Sermon in a sentence this morning is, as the church must be diligent in her holding on of the truth of the gospel, she must also be diligent in her choice of leaders. Who the church, the gathered body of Christ, choose as their leaders. We must be super, super careful. Uh, it's not just here. It's, it's everywhere throughout the scriptures. Don't leave people without proper leaders. Uh, I titled the sermon, Job Descriptions, and, and it is basically a job description for Timothy. Here's what you look for, Timothy, and those who are going to be elders and those who are going to be deacons. A couple things I want to say kind of as an intro. First, God intends for his church to have pastors, leaders, shepherds, kings, prophets, judges. That is God's intent. And so when people tell you, uh, I'm a Christian, I'm spiritual, but you don't have to be a member of a church, you need to tell them you're wrong. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I don't believe in organized religion. I, I go out on the boat and I spend time with God. And, and that's, you're wrong. You're wrong. That is not God's intention. His intention is to call a people. His intention is to have leaders. If you're not a part of a community of people, who are you accountable to? Who are your shepherds? Who are your deacons? Who are you going to go to when you have issues? Who is going to speak truth into your life when no one else will? The church was intended to have them. It's interesting, in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas says, on their first missionary journey, they appointed elders in each church. That was how they defined a church. A church had elders. In Ephesians 4, it's talking about the gifts that Christ gave us when he ascended. It says in verse, uh, verses 11 and 12, the ascended Christ, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ. We're to have leaders that equip you. You are to do the work of Christ in Grove. When Tammy and I considered coming to do another church plant, I said, hey, we're too old to coach Little League and all these other things. We're not sure how we'll meet people. But hey, if you know of a group of people that have a heart for their community, that are connected, that, that will usher us into their circles, then I can see it happening. I can see us doing something like that. But at our age, it's going to be hard. It's hard in our society to go meet people when you're an empty nester. Um, and so that's what we looked for, and that's what you're to be doing. Titus 1. Titus, Paul says, I left you in Crete to appoint elders in every town. And so God intends for his church to have leaders. The precise form of pastoral leadership is widely debated. Um, even the words here that are used, some of your uh, translations may say overseer, they may say bishop, they may say elder. There's lots of different words um, used. So, I mean, some, some people think you know, Paul was a bishop. Timothy might have been a bishop. Peter was the first pope of Rome. Um, our, our church denomination, it's called Presbyterian, that Presbyterian. Presbyteros, that word means elder. It means our church is elder-led. Uh, just so you know, we have three elders in our church. 
I'm one of them, Bo is one of them, and Jake is one of them. We have three elders. We call it the plurality of elders. When we sit down to vote, uh, it isn't the preacher saying, hey guys, this is what we're going to go do. I'm going to rally the troops. Go do it. Um, it's the three of us deciding who will preach. It's the three of us deciding how to shepherd best, how small groups are put together. What are we going to teach in Sunday school? What do we do with this family or that family? Uh, we have three elders. We have two deacons, uh, Jim and Ricky. Uh, we have a, a leadership structure that we believe reflects what the scriptures teach. Now, when God calls a pastor, and he's going to talk about two types of elders. Uh, later on in chapter 5, he'll talk about what we believe are two, the kind of two types of elders, and he differentiates between the elder that oversees and the one who primarily is the preacher of the gospel. Um, but to be called, we look for three things. And we'll talk about that in this text. We look for the call of God. So I have had people in, in previous places. Uh, I was an elder in Jackson, Mississippi. We just moved to Tupelo, and I'd like to be an elder in your church in Tupelo. It's their first week. And I'm like, well, doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. You might know how the book of church order. You might know your theology better than me, but it doesn't work that way. There's three things that have to happen. One is an internal call, and that man who came has a sense of an internal call. I believe that God is, is drawing me to this, and we'll talk about what that looks like a little more deeply. The, the second thing um, is the call of God. Do I believe that God is desiring for me to do this service? Do I, do I feel that it's not necessarily even something I might want to do at times, but that, that God has poured himself into me in such a way and put me together and given me uh, the gifts and the calling that that is something I need to do. And the third part is the screening of the church. So, um, again, some new guy comes up. I'm like, our church doesn't even know you. you know, nobody knows you. Nobody can look at you and say, I trust this person to make spiritual direction decisions for our family. It's going to take some time. So, um, in our text, I've broken it down into three things. The first is desires. Um, so the church is diligent in the choice of leaders, and the first thing he talks about here is desire. He'll talk about desire, character, and commitments. First, desires. Uh, the text says, uh, if anyone aspires or desires a noble task, the inner call. There is, in a sense, when you choose someone to be an officer, an elder, or a deacon, or a pastor, of your church, there should be in them a desire to do so. Not out of guilt, but this sense that this is what I'm made to do. A compunction to serve. A longing to help. I mentioned Jeremiah and Ezekiel several times in their accounts. They say, I can't keep silent. I want to keep silent. Sometimes I just, I prefer just to go and, and, and find a spot on the water with a nice dog and my wife and a good cup of coffee. No, there is a desire. There is a sense. There is a care for people. And you're drawn to it. Now we see this, uh, this idea of calling. And, and I say it, it, it it's probably happens to all of us. Um. Right now, military, 
right? You go on TikTok and you see Ukrainian and Russian soldiers. There's a sense of calling. Those who do well have a sense of calling. You know that, that, that commercial about the Marines where, uh, I love it, everybody is fleeing the smoke and the Marines are running to the smoke. This is what I'm to do. This is what I was made for. Remember when I told my dad I, I was thinking of being a pastor, he said, well, only if you can't do anything else. Only if you can't do anything else, son. Um, people thought it was the opposite. Thought it was dead, like, come on, who's going to follow in the Father's footsteps? No, only if you feel like you can't do anything else. Um, there is a desire. It's not selfish ambition. It's not to be seeking after prestige or power. It is an inner call. God is wanting me to do this. Some of you feel that in your vocations. When you feel that you're in the right place, there's something right about it. It's not just the salary. It's the I'm called to teach. I find delight in a person grasping that concept. I'm called to counsel. I find great delight and I feel like I'm in my purpose when we bring reconciliation. I'm called to medicine. I'm called to be this first responder. I'm called to be a, a mother, a daughter, a wife. Um, so that's the first thing. Do, do, does the person aspire? Do they desire it? And in their desire, is it a desire for service? Not to be served, but it is a desire to serve. It is a noble thing, he says. It is a good thing. It is something necessary. If someone desires the office of an overseer, the task he is desiring is a noble task. It is a good task. It is a necessary task. It is a wonderful task. But you're called to work. You're called to do. And so that's the first thing. Does the person desire it? And do they desire it for the right reasons? They desire to be an elder or a shepherd of the church to serve, or do they desire that they may rule? They may have it their way, that they may have some sense of prestige, some sense of power, some sense of honor. What's the desire? The second, though, and the longest part of this is the character. And I want to tell you that it's probably the most neglected. You see, we are a front stage type of community, and it filters into the church. So you, you may watch a sermon, hear a sermon, read a book, and, and think, man, that person is just great and not knowing all that has gone on to put that together a whole team has gone on to put that together any of you have ever been to a concert uh where you're like this is not the band whose cd i bought any of you go see millie vanilli by any chance <laughs> right this is not the band that i've been listening to and you see them on stage like what happened why, why are they so bad and aren't you amazed when you go see a band and you're like they're even better live like wow how could they be better when they've done all these tracks over and over again and they've cut it and they've clipped it and they've redone it and they didn't and and they're better live see we're that kind of culture we're a front stage culture how do the people look how do they present themselves and paul says timothy you can't 
at, you can't allow hands to be laid on elders and deacons because they have this front stage persona. What is their character like? And we've moved away from it. It used to be, I don't know if you ever watched the Austin Powers where they're like, we're going to make this scandal where the Prince of England does this. And like, oh, that's already happened. Oh, we're going to make another scandal where the president does it. Oh, yeah, that's already happened. And, and he's like, what? Those things happen and they're still president? Still the prince? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it doesn't matter in our society anymore about someone's character. It's what can they do for me? It's what do they look like? Do they promote my agenda? Not so in the church. Timothy, character over charisma all the time. Every time. What type of man is he? And listen to this list. Uh, I'll, I'll run through it. Fidelity in marriage. Is he faithful in his marriage? Is he sober-minded? Is his head clear? Is he self-controlled, Timothy? Does he, is he sensible? Is he disciplined? Does he, does he have control? Is he self-mastered him, his, his, his ability to care for others and his family? Timothy, how can he rule others if he can't take care of himself? How do we expect someone who flies off the handle to be able to lead the church? Is he hospitable? This word literally means, does he love strangers? The outward focus of this person is part of their character. The person who cares for those outside. He reaches out not just uh, to the lonely, and not just, I mean, to the lonely, not just the convenient. Is he hospitable? Is he a drunkard? It's interesting, in both elder deacon, they mention that. Addicted to much wine? Is he a drunkard? Is he sober in his body? Is, is, what about his temperament? Do we know this man is gentle, not violent? He's not quarrelsome. He's not a lover of money. He's not tight. He's not stingy. He's a good steward of what God's entrusted to him. He manages his household well, and he expands on that. His children, he manages his household with, with dignity. It's not he's the tyrant that gets everybody to line up, like in the sound of music, right? He's not that. He, is, he, he manages it well. He understands his wife. He understands his children. He gives them dignity and value and worth. He keeps his children submissive. And he says this again, because to manage the church, it's like managing your family. And we'll see that play out in chapter 5 when it comes to dealing with widows, orphans, and the poor. It's like the church is to be a picture of the ideal Christ-centered family. And so um, I know when our officers were examined, and I know when I examine officers for the church, if they're married, I sit with the wife. And I ask her this question. This is who we see. This is who we see on Sunday. Ma'am, do you think your husband does such an amazing job of loving you and managing his family so well that it would be almost selfish for you to keep him to yourself? Do you see the way he manages his family and you and his life and his job and think our church needs that? Does he manage his household well? He goes on to say he can't be a recent convert. You know, and it's something, again, we see, we see some celebrity get saved, and then the next week they're preaching, right? 
<laughs> the next week, the next week, there's some uh, they they get saved, and two weeks later, they're they're an expert on the Bible, and um, like you know, I understand there's an excitement and there's wonder to it, but people be critical of who you listen to and who you trust. Not a recent convert, and it's it's two parts in here where he says you're going to fall into you're in danger of falling into the same snare that Satan fell into. A recent convert. They puffed up with conceit. That's what happened to Satan. Um, And thought of well by outsiders. This is part of that character. The other thing we did with our officers. um, Before we ordained them, I sat with each one. I said, is there anybody in Grove? Is there anybody in Grove that finds out, hey, you're an elder at Three Rivers? And they'll think, wow, that dude... Is there anybody you need to go and let them know that you've changed since high school? You've changed since this. You've been saved. Is there anybody you need to go make right with? Is there anybody that would think in their minds there's no, that church has no idea what this person is like? That's what it means. It doesn't mean they're a people pleaser. It means in reference to the job and the call in the church. What do outsiders think? Now it goes on and says deacons likewise. So in a sense he's saying deacons, you have to have that same character you have to be uh, you have to be worthy of respect you have to hold the mystery of the faith with clear conscience you're tested and approved and your home life is in line character oh Timothy these offices aren't honorary they're not earned by the amount of money that you've given or how long you've been at the church but by character and calling meet with church planners all the time and one had been in a place for a long time we were asking him when will you particularize and we call that in our church we call it particularize is when a church gets its own governing body when they install their first elders and deacons and he's like i don't have anybody that meets these requirements he's like i keep praying i keep working we do the work I just don't have anybody yet that I feel meets these requirements. What should I do? And we said, wait. (laughs) Wait. Wait and pray. Now also, when a man reads through this, it's a bit daunting. Sure, the officers in our church right now are like, yeah. (laughs) It's a bit daunting. It doesn't mean a person of perfection. The general term for what are they like? What are they like in the backstage? Have I got to know them? So when we vote for elders, and especially the church I was at before was a bigger church, we we would have a ballot, and we would have yes, no, abstain. And I was like, we're a church of a thousand people. There's no way you can know all of these people. So if you don't know, abstain. Don't just vote yes because we put them forward and we think it's the congregation saying. We, we see these, this is the characteristics of the person that we are voting in for office. Paul's already reminded Timothy of the importance of the ordination, hasn't he? He said, remember, Timothy, be strong. Remember when hands were laid on you and you were ordained to office. Remember that, Timothy. Um, So Paul has reminded Timothy of the time he was himself ordained. He said that the man must have the right desires. The man must have the right character. And and lastly, the man must have the right commitments. 
The elder is committed, and we use two different words. Uh, one is one is a kind of a Greek word, and one is um, uh, um, one is Greek, and one is Hebrew. So there's this sense um, that that the church would have both uh, Greeks and Hebrews, Jews and Gentiles. Um, but really, the commitment of the elder is to lead, to have oversight, and to rule, and to be able to teach. The character requirements are there, but also the commitments. I'm not afraid to lead. I feel called to lead. I feel called to have oversight. When we step up to make a decision, that decision is coming out of a heart that cares for the people, not just a heart that says, this is what would make it easier for me and my family, and since I'm an elder, we're going to choose this. But I have oversight, and I'm able to teach. The deacon is committed to serving in fact, the word uh, deacon, and there's lots of discussion over this, um, but the most basic meaning is a waiter. And they weren't honored in that culture. It wasn't like the highest aspiration in that culture. One day I hope to wait tables. Um, the deacon was called as one to serve, to be committed to serve. Now, I've had men go from one office to another. I've had men that were called and ordained as elders that once they got into that role, they felt like the oversight or the teaching wasn't there. They weren't committed to it. They didn't have the gifts for that. But they said, what I really love is serving the people. I really love that. I really love going and, and, and being the hands and feet of our church and leading a team of people to care for refugees, orphans, and widows. Uh, that's the diaconate call to serve and you follow in the footsteps of Jesus in both offices. And Jesus in Luke 22 says, Who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Verse 27. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I'm among you as the one who serves. What's he saying? In our culture, we all desire to be the one who sits at the table. But Jesus says, but I'm the one who has come to serve. In Mark chapter 10, he's talking about the, the, the pagans lording it over one another and how even in the religious places that, that there's this hierarchy. Uh, and he says, but it shall not be among you, verse 43, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The elder is committed to leading, to oversight, and to ruling. The elder is to teach, have the ability to teach. And the deacon is called to serve. It doesn't mean the deacon doesn't teach, but primarily the responsibility is to serve and lead the church in serving. Uh, close here, verse 13. Those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It is a hard office. It is a demanding office. But he, Paul tells Timothy, there's two really great things that happen when you serve. You have good standing. In that sense, you stand before God on behalf of the people. You have a place with God. You are, you're, you're alongside of those who have gone before, like Moses, who speaks to God on behalf of the people. You have good standing. Remember that 
when you go to our Father, that you are ministering his, to His bride, to His people, and you have great confidence. I really think there's more to it than just personal confidence. I think the longer you serve, the greater the confidence is in the work of the Spirit. I had some of you praying about the meeting yesterday. I was so anxious about the meeting that we had a few weeks ago at Presbytery. Being one of the older guys there, I was really anxious. Felt I'd failed my brothers. I'm like, what should I have spoken here? Should I have challenged that? Uh, and we prayed and prayed and prayed. And we met, like I said yesterday. And there was just beautiful peace and humility. And you get to see that when you serve the Lord. You get to see situations that you can't fix. That our God fixes. You get to see a wonderful outpouring of mercy and grace that is otherworldly. Great confidence. Though it is difficult and demanding, you get to see the work of God in the life of the church. Yes, we deal with sickness. We deal with death. We deal with broken and hard marriages. But we also deal with rescues. I'll tell you so many times, in one week when there is a death, there's a birth. When one week we lose a family, a new family shows up. Such is the confidence. I put in there godliness, Jesusness, and good standing. God intends to use those who serve Him in their service to make Him more like themselves, more like Himself. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this word. And thank you that you have given us clear instruction. May we not be self-righteous about it, but may we be diligent. And not just in the church, Father, but to realize that the enemy is sending messages to us all the time that go counter to the wonderful blessedness of your gospel. Help us to be diligent. Help us, Father, Put our trust in you to bring those with the correct character to lead us. And help us to make their jobs easier, more wonderful. Pray this in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen.